Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Zorro.com. Zorro.com is where you'll find everything you need for businesses of any size and almost any industry. They have tools, equipment, and supplies for everything you need, whether you need stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, manufacturing, or more. Zorro's got it from brands you know and trust. And Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the U.S., Visit Zoro.com slash watch in all lowercase letters to sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. What's up, guys? It is today's episode of The Watch. It is Thursday. I am recording this remotely today, and this is going to be my conversation with Amanda Dobbins, where we really just dove into the deep end of the pool to talk about the first three episodes of The Morning Show. So Apple released The Morning Show uh, last week, I guess. They released the first three episodes, and you will be able to kind of get a full, uh, spoilerific take on those three episodes. Amanda and I both really enjoy the show. Uh, I think we both recognize that it is by no means a perfect piece of television, but we were really interested in what its imperfections are and what its sillier moments are, but also some of the serious stuff that they were trying to capture. We were very excited about the performances of Billy Crudup and Jennifer Aniston, not necessarily in that order. Uh, just some housekeeping going forward. I wanted to let you know that we're going to continue to be talking about Watchmen on Mondays. So Andy and I will do that. We've got a lot of conversation coming up about The Crown and Mandalorian. So get ready for that. That will be coming in the next couple of weeks. And also, we'll be discussing His Dark Materials with Mallory Rubin at some point next week. So that's pretty exciting. A lot of good TV on right now. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you about all of it. Let's get into my conversation with Amanda Dobbins about The Morning Show. You guys, when I first saw the pilot for The Morning Show a couple of weeks ago, I had a vision. I saw an issue of Vanity Fair. And on the cover of Vanity Fair was Amanda Dobbins. (laughs) And she was standing on a windswept Texas highway. Oh boy, okay. And she was holding an iPhone. And on that iPhone, The Morning Show was playing... And the cover line said, man, I'm just born to be in it. <laughs> sometimes the... It's like eight references. <laughs> sometimes, you know, like the times, they call for a person, a hero to rise. Thank you. And I think this is your moment, Amanda Dobbins. So welcome to The Watch. Thank and welcome you so much. to a comprehensive breakdown of the first three episodes of The Morning Show. I, thank you. I feel really understood. Um, I just also want to say... You know, you and I have been friends for a long time, and I've really valued that relationship always. Thanks. Basically never valued it more in the last two weeks when I knew I had a place to just send psychotic novel-length texts (laughs) and that they would be read and received and supported and the energy would be reflected back to me. So thank you. I want to start by asking you this. Yeah. Because you mentioned our friendship. So I I, I feel like I'm pretty intimately aware of your tastes, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Uh, people can hear I'm it on sorry, the big picture and on you. Jam Session, many ringer pods. But Amanda and I often will talk on the side in real life, just IRL about pop culture, you know? And I feel like you are someone who is not easily pleased by television. Correct. It's not something that you look at in your life as like, I'm just going to have TV on mm-hmm. for fun, you know? And That's so true. your bar for entry is like, kind of high you know like you'll be like I really liked this or I appreciated it but like there's only a few shows that you like love and weirdly I would say the morning show seems to be one of them yes but not weird at all it's not weird at all no I think you said a good thing which is 
part of it is that I am aware that I'm on the show The Watch, but I guess I'm filling the Andy role right here. I don't know how to watch TV. Okay. In the sense of I'm not a person who can sit down and binge five hours. And for whatever reason, my husband and I aren't like, uh, okay, we did the dishes and we've got two hours, so let's sit down and watch our next show. Right. I think part of that is because my husband and I have like very different tastes, which is another thing. But so I'm not a— I'm not the best TV watcher, but also I would say that especially the last decade of television has not always been in tune with my tastes. Sure. And there are a lot of shows that I have enjoyed, but the show that has the belt, for example, Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, it's well-made, well-written, really fantastic, but is not for me. Yeah. And this is a show— that is maybe not any of the things that I just said, but is so emphatically for me that it reminds me why other people like watching TV because I just want to watch So my this. first follow-up is, do you feel like this has more to do with TV from 10 years ago, from the pre-kind of golden age? Like, does it feel more like pure mass entertainment to you or is there something about it's a beautiful car crash and I just love everything that's going on for better or for worse? It's a little bit of both. I think that it actually—I guess we should get this out of the way. Have have you said publicly, like, th- this show is—it's not great, but also it's amazing? That's exactly what I said. Okay. I said, and, yeah. and I think the conversation that Andy and I had on Monday was—the reason why this kind of ties in is that I was like, I actually sometimes am just fine with TV that's quote-unquote not good mm-hmm. in the is it Mindhunter, is it Fleabag kind right. of idea of what TV can be now. I like watching stars— go through a hour-long story. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not good, but it has a lot of, in the sense of, like, the writing and the lines that people say to each other and some other things. But it has a lot of things that are maybe in common with TVs from, like, 10 or 15 mm-hmm. years ago, or maybe just now in different ways that I really like. It has movie stars. Mm-hmm. It's got Reese Witherspoon... Jennifer Aniston, who is a TV-turned-movie star, back TV star. I guess when I say movie star, I understand that that's loaded because we're talking about a TV show, but that designation is basically gone. It just has stars. It has, like, real famous people who have presence who you want to watch on screen. It's got Billy Crudup, who I think I have to marry now. It's got Mark Duplass, who's like— Mary Louise Parker might tell you that. Yeah, right. That's that's a tough one. Um, Mark Duplass, it's got— Gugum Bathara, uh-huh. it's got Belle Pally, right? Belle Pally. I believe Marsha Gay Harden shows up at the end she there. Sure and does. I have to assume that she's coming back. It is expensive. They spent so much money on it. Yeah. And in a way, that's not traditional TV, right? No, I mean, I think that often with um I was kind of comparing it to, with Andy to Grace and Good Wife mm-hmm. in like somewhat soapy, but really well done. And I, I think well done can be can mean different things to different sure. people, but well done drama with like like a, like some romance, yeah. some heat coming off of it. It's got apartments, it's got fancy clothes, it's got various locations, sort of. Yeah, you can just tell that they have spent money on it, which is nice. I would prefer that more things like had location budgets and clothing budgets. Let's and, hope like, they got all the nice. Apple products for free. Yeah, exactly. Saved, sure money, so. saved money on the iPhone budget. And in terms of subject matter, it is about, you know, it's about two women mm-hmm. in a traditionally, like, quote, women's space for better and often for worse, which is, like, morning news. But it is also, it's about 
journalism sort of it definitely thinks it's about journalism because it's a, they say true journalist every five minutes I'm a journalist <laughs> my name true. is Bradley Jackson true journalism is about the truth okay <laughs> but I am interested in all of those machinations and it's I mean it's about media which mm-hmm. I think we're interested in we're like a lot of my favorite things from Succession, which I loved and mm-hmm. I think is excellent, to The Devil Wars Prada are all about media. But so it's a subject matter I'm interested in. And while it is, it has some various, very serious topics, which we'll talk about the Steve Carell plotline, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's not depressing. And sometimes I just don't want to watch another show about like, kids getting murdered, you know, a war. I, sometimes I just actually, the hurdle to watching is like, oh, this is such a bummer. And this is a lot of not great things, but it's not a bummer. It's also pretty grown up. Yeah. I thought, I, I noticed that a lot when I was watching, as you get through, go through the season a little bit, you're like, oh yeah, there's no kids in this show. Right. Like, I think, you know, Alex has a daughter who pops up like intermittently. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's about, middle-aged people kind of uh, grappling with the, how their career is impacting their life and how their life is impacting their career, which is a pretty interesting subject matter to me. Right. I, it's not that I'm anti-kids in TV, but they often are put there to sort of superficially raise the stakes in any given situation, especially the shit that I watch where it's like, my kid's been kidnapped, you know, but this is like, <laughs> this is not that. This is about people getting up and going to work, getting up very early and going to work. Yeah, really and I have a early. lot of notes about- You and me both. So let's say, like, why don't we just start? Okay. One of the things that is like, here's a really good example of why my brain is engaged with this show. I am fascinated by their insistence that they show us every single day, these people waking up at 3.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. and yet they seem to go out every night. They are never like, I got to go home because I got to be in my blackout curtains at 7.45 p.m. to get my eight hours. So Andrew and I talked about this on our Ringer Dish podcast a little bit, but I can't stop thinking about it. And this, we're going to have to talk about people's appearances a little bit, but only as it deals in the context of the show, which they're screen testing people for appearances. Okay. And they like show Jennifer Aniston as Alex wearing like the eye patches. Yeah, and doing the, the, what's the thing that she um, runs across? She's using a jade roller. I just, (laughs) in terms of... uh, fact-checking, I think someone in her stature would have a more expensive face roller at this point. They're, they're selling those things for like three to $500, which is insane, but okay. that's what she, she would be using, a like more ergonomically effective one. Anyway, Alex, Jennifer Aniston's character, is drinking so much, yes. so late yes. at night, which anyone who has ever been near a camera will know makes your face so puffy, hence the face roller. Yes. But there is no face roller in the world she's drinking, that is going to roll out like a handle of vodka at 3 a.m. She's taking down oaky reds. It's really intense. And her, like, husband or not husband, which I have some questions Jason? there. yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to know about the nature of their relationship <laughs> since it's not clear. But he's like, that gives you a headache. Shouldn't you not have it anymore? And, and she's, she's like, like, it's fine it. if I take a Advil, which let's be real, that's not true for anyone of Jennifer <laughs> Aniston's age. But it's also, so we're worried about the headache, but you're telling me that this vain character is not thinking about the extreme face bloating that's yeah. happening from the amount of alcohol she's consuming? Anyway. But that's the kind of thing that like when I I'm watching a show, I just get like obsessed with stuff mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. I think that they almost know that. I think they kind of are like, of course, most of these people are probably shepherded home in an SUV and go into a cryogenic chamber until it's time to wake up at the middle of the night the next day. 
one thing about this show is like, I'm not sure whether it does know. That's like my question. Okay. My yes. question throughout this. Yeah. I guess like, like accuracy is not. Do you guys know what, are you in control of this ship? Yeah. And that's what's fascinating about it is it's like, especially this script, it doesn't seem like they're 100% in control of where they're steering it. And their performances are not totally attuned to yeah. what's being said. And and that's it's a good point because this show has had a couple of showrunners. Yeah, Jay Carson initially, uh, Carrie Aaron working on it. It's got Mimi Leader as like this sort of executive producer director of the first few episodes. Lynn Shelton works on it later in the season, and you know, obviously, to me, it's actually a non-otor show though because I think that Jennifer and Reese are the auteurs, yes. and to some extent, Corell. Even though each one of those characters, especially in the first episode is in an entirely different show. Yes. They're in the show that they're starring in. Yeah. And that show could be, I'm screaming about being exhausted in West Virginia coal mine, or it could be, I'm using a jade roller, or it could be, I'm beating up my television. But they don't know the other show that's happening. No. And that's kind of a, the pilot's a little bit of a tough hang in that that sense. But I think that that once those people start to come together a little bit more, the show picks up in episodes two and three. Yes, I completely agree. I still kind of think it's fascinating to... You know, you. I would have loved to be there for Reese filming the viral video yeah. and the coal mine scene because I I admire Reese Witherspoon. I think she's a great actress. I think she's been really successful as a business person in Hollywood producing her own stuff and starting producing things for other people. And she reads a lot and she seems pretty savvy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to be like, are you aware of what you're saying right now and how it's going to go? I think they're completely aware. I think they are completely, because that is such a, aren't we all tired of the left and the right telling us what's really going on when it's really about human beings? I think that's true, but it's also the way that she is screaming. So I understand why they made it a viral video in the context of this show, but that actually, do you think that that video would go viral? Because it's so bizarre. Not really. You're like, why am I watching this? All this, this, All the new stuff I see that goes viral is always like, Rachel Maddow incinerates like hedge funds. Yeah. You know, or like it's all studio based like monologues rather than stunty bits out in the field where it's like this reporter tells it like it is. Right. And it's also it's it's things where either people are. Yeah. Telling it like it is. Mm-hmm. It's some sort of like concise evisceration of an issue that people relate to and or people are just making fun of someone going crazy. And the show tries to play it like it's the former but it's definitely the latter. Yeah. And like Reese Witherspoon is just screaming really weirdly. Yeah. I would just love to have been there for the choice for the screaming, you know? <laughs> and I would love to know what the other versions of that line read were. I'd love to see what like take 12 was. Like, if this was, was like, like take 15. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'd love to be in the editing room and find out what it was that made them go with that. Mm-hmm. Because it's a great summation of all of just, like, the slightly strange choices that they're making, where it's, like, everything is somewhat informed, and all of these things could, like, plausibly happen, but it's just kind of tonally three things too far on the dial. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just comes together in such a mismatched way. And I think I think what you said is right, is that there have been several showrunners and they're all in different places. And I think that there's stuff happening in different episodes. I, so the, I think that it's really good that Apple put the first three episodes up at once because mm-hmm. it acts as a very solid first act for this season. Yeah. So it ends, obviously, and we'll talk... This is spoilers for the first three episodes, 
But it ends, episode three ends with, you know, Aniston taking Reese's hands as they're about to go do their first show together. There's a lot of stuff that happens within those first three episodes that I'm like, was this from episode six? Yeah. Or, like, was this for a different conception of this show? Like, for instance, the Gilmore Girls plot. The, or, or it's like, not even a plot. It's just uh, the what repeated mentions joke? of the Gilmore Girls musical. Can you explain that as... as I have literally <laughs> no idea. I have no... I don't understand the joke. It's a joke that's written for me. Right. It's like, honestly, like, the focus group, the test group was like, let's make something for Amanda Dobbins. Let's make, like, a Sorkin-esque joke about a Gilmore Girls musical. And I don't understand it. But, like, he he's online to go see the musical, and he's like, Gilmore Girls is pro-life. Yeah. And then that somehow gets back to Charlie Chip Black, played by Mark Duplass, who's like... Don't say that out loud because you're going to get, you're never going to get the anchor seat if you're against the Gilmore Girls. I have, I guess so. I mean, maybe we're supposed to, and this is the thing, right? Maybe we're supposed to believe that this is a world where, number one, they would make a musical out of the Gilmore Girls, Uh and that number two, that it would become like a pop cultural lightning rod, and that like people would care. (laughs) Cancel culture. Which, you know, in a way, the morning show has created that world where like my interests become nonsensical lightning rods. Jade Rollers and Gilmore Girls musicals. I guess, I guess it's it's really alarming to see it reflected back at you. Yeah. But also, I just didn't understand the joke because I think some of it was just in the editing. Okay, so there's that. There's a couple of things like that where you're just like, oh, weird. I mean, there's a couple of scenes where I'm like, a piece of story will kind of come to a natural conclusion. Just like they will mm-hmm. say like, and now everybody knows the the mystery is solved or whatever. And then the next scene should be in any other logical way, <laughs> the characters discussing that, mm-hmm. reckoning with that. And it's just like a different scene. And I don't mean like a different scene like they cut to the B plot. I mean, all the characters who just found out about something are now acting and behaving in a totally different way. And I think that for me, like as a TV watcher, like I get very excited when I see Gugu and Batha Raw accidentally wearing the same outfit in a different day. <laughs> so it's like, so so a, a high-powered producer at a morning show somehow is just wearing the same jeans, scarf, and blouse right. two days in a row, which would never happen. Yeah. But she's there because they're bringing Bradley in or whatever. Stuff like that, I'm like, the fuck is happening here? What well, happened? Like, what, did you guys have to go be reshoot this? <laughs> did you shoot this one scene and think it was part of that day and then move it to the next day? Like, it's so fascinating for me to see that stuff. Well, so I I kind of have a theory on this and I don't know how much is this is confirmed, but I think the answer to your question is yes. Yeah. I, I don't know anything. This show is based on the Brian Stelter book, Top of the Morning, Inside the Cutthroat World of Morning TV, which was about the Katie Couric, Matt Lauer era yeah. of the Today Show. And I think... And and I believe is also about how like Ann Curry was brought in to replace Katie Couric, but then Ann Curry was fired because she wasn't likable enough, and was about all of those machinations. Yeah. But it is pre all of the Matt Lauer accusations, right? And I believe I don't know the timeline of this, but my assumption is that they were working on this, and, and then, then they all were the like, Matt we Lauer have stuff to do a response to this. But yeah. so then they just had to totally scrap everything, right? And so. They had Steve Carell on board, and now they're like, what you're going to do, Steve Carell, is go to this mansion that's supposed to be in Westchester, but is, like, probably, like, in the Palisades. Mm -hmm. And you're going to smash your TV and have, like, weird therapy sessions with Martin Short. And they seem totally divorced from what's going on in the rest of the show because I think they just had to rearrange a lot. Obviously, his character would be isolated from the rest of the cast in this case. Yeah. But there's something very telling about the fact that all of Steve Carell's scenes seem to be with people 
almost exclusively outside of this yes. group of characters. Yes. It's like, they're like, oh shit, we have to reshoot Steve's stuff in a house somewhere, right? Like you're saying. Yeah. And I think that there's some, there's some Reese stuff that feels like that, specifically her hair changes length. I know she gets like haircuts and stuff like that, but there's some interesting wig stuff going on. Yeah, it wasn't the priority for them, I'll say, <laughs> in terms of budget or concept. I don't think Reese negotiated the wig deal that she needed okay. to. So, in the same way that Big Little Lies, I think, gave people a version of Reese that they had been longing to see for a while. Yeah. Reese Unleashed. Mm-hmm. Morning Show is giving me something I never even knew I wanted. Really? Which is unvarnished Aniston. Yeah. I like Friends. I love Friends, whatever. I've seen it, yeah, I'm sure, it's, a sure few times. Nice. Like, uh, I mean, like, I've seen the whole thing probably a few times just in, on the, in the background. Of course. We were there in the 90s. We watched it. Absolutely. She's been a celebrity for most of my life. Like, she has been a staple of it. I wouldn't call myself someone who's like wildly like interested in her but I feel like she's been waiting to play this part for quite a long time totally and I I said the same thing and on the podcast that I did with Andrew we talked a lot about how she just didn't do interesting things for a while she yeah. really played it safe I mean friends was a huge deal and she was kind of crazy famous and by the way if you haven't looked at like the coverage of Jennifer Aniston from like 2000 to 2005 recently. Like we all went through a mass psychosis together. I, I like honestly couldn't believe it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I know why my brain is damaged because I read Us Weekly every week during this thing. Yes. So I understand why she just decided to be in bad comedies for a while and we, you know, didn't ask anyone to take her seriously. And in a lot of ways, this show is her going back to TV. It's definitely in conversation with the character of Jennifer Aniston. Mm -hmm. I mean, when she sits there at the table and is just like, America loves me. Right. I wish I could have edited that speech for her because I think that that is like a cool thing that she's trying to do. And I think she is also trying to, she's she's giving a lot of herself in it. Yeah. But then the actual speech writing is like, you know. It's just, like it's a, really crying out for Sorkin. Yeah. That's what it is. And they're trying to do it. And Sorkin is one of the greatest screenwriters of our generation. Right. So it's like really hard. But it does, it is kind of like, you know, the skim wrote a speech for her. Do you know what the skim is? Yeah. The yeah. skim is like It's the, like where they 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 take the news and they're like, here, here's what you need to know. Yeah. Right. They're just like, have you been Instagram stalking? So has Vladimir Putin, who is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> using democracy bots or whatever. I, I think the skim is um one of the great travesties of uh, modern womanhood. But it is kind of the skimification of it a little, and right. I, I want more. But I think with she's doing a lot with not a lot. I feel like there's also, one of the things that's fun about this show is to watch like when the Aniston and Reese characters interact, the way in which it's almost like these two celebrities kind of like grappling with what they're going to be on this show. Yeah. I know that that seems like probably like a bit much, but all the stuff about like where Bradley's just like, I don't like being used. And Aniston's like, I am the puppet master of all. But then I have like vulnerable moments where I'm like, I'm scared of losing it all. It just really feels like a, a very metatextual thing about like older female celebrities aging out of like their last moment in their windows. Yes. Yeah. No, I, and I think it's fascinating, and I am I'm interested in that, and I like watching it. I think it definitely also feels like they had input in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is a real 800 cooks in the kitchen situation. Sure. And so, and the, the script and the actual end result reflects that. But it's fascinating to think about the two of them 
standing in those scenes, like knowing what they're saying to each other and the input that they definitely had about it and even how they're choosing to play it. Yeah. So I guess we could talk about each episode if you want. The pilot is the pilot. I think it feels a little bit bloated and they, like, they're like they turning a battleship around whenever they're doing pivoting and stuff yeah. like that. It really takes its time like with all the West Virginia stuff before they get her up to New York. And to do that, they f- like the crud-up character is basically the Joker. Please don't say that. He's actually future husband. (laughs) That would actually dovetail quite nicely with your feeling on the Joker. (laughs) That's a true. It's a good Um, point. Check out the hottest take. No, but he does. He's like, I don't have like an ethos or an ideology. My job is to bring these two women together for for no other reason than the fact that I have a phone. Um, (laughs) And then you kind of get once the second episode starts. I don't know how how much space there was in between doing the pilot and doing the second episode or if they even went through any kind of pilot process I doubt it if Aniston and Witherspoon it seems like they just gave them two seasons yeah. but you know they get her up into New York and they get her in a hotel room in a hotel bar with Crudup and starting to get involved in this show and that's where I feel like it really starts to like right. get going Yes, it does. That's also when the Sorkinness just really leans in because they actually start the second episode with yet another ver- uh, cover of Creep. Yes. It's like a lounge seeger version of Creep, which obviously famously was covered in the Social Network trailer, which yeah. is still possibly the greatest three moments of American <laughs> cinema in our decade. And there, there is also, a, as an avid West Wing watcher, a lot of Josh Lyman, who's the Bradley Whitford character, mm-hmm. meeting actually— Mary Louise Parker in various hotel bars to negotiate uh, right. um, various business things. So I, they're clearly doing their best to live up to it and it doesn't quite get there. But those two have great chemistry. When Crudup really finally decides who Corey is going to be, that's his character. Mm-hmm. It's really magical. I, I feel like they they were, they gave him carte blanche. Yeah. I feel like they had so much to do with the Alex, Bradley, and Mitch characters that— Crudup showed up one day and was just like, what if my guy is like a cocaine addict, but instead of cocaine, he's just high off his own sensory awareness and is just moving through life like a addled panther? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, 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 Billy, whatever. Like, I want to know what was Reese's reaction the first time like she did one take with Billy Crudup. And he was like, Alex, I just thank you. God. And it's just like, Bradley, you're what's new. You're chaos. It's like, what the fuck is he talking about? How would anybody, like, in his life, like, move to the—he's in charge of the news division. And also, his boss is like, fuck you. I think you're bad at your job. I hate you. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, Fred, that's what it's all about, baby. I mean, it's it's very true. Until you remember that he's in charge of the news division, I actually think it's plausible. Because yes. there is always that guy. But he's supposed to be, like, the sucker who's, like, like, in charge of entertainment yeah. who's been brought to revitalize the news division. Right. Right. Yeah, I think you can believe that until it's like we're talking about journalism. And that's the thing that's so tough about it is that everyone else is very serious and Billy Crudup knows that he's in like a fun show and is trying to be fun, Mm -hmm. which is why we're so responsive to it. But I I really like it. And I'm like, God bless you. I wish that more people were doing Crudup and less people were being like, I am a true journalist. Yes. I will now read you the tenets of journalism on this like weird live segment that we have about a viral video. This scene between Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon where they like do the on-air interview. Yeah. Have any of these people ever seen a morning show? Have any of these people ever seen a conversation between two humans? Because it wasn't even like 
it was more like the Grand Inquisitor from like Brothers Karamazov <laughs> so than it was like weird. It, it was like the it got dark and she was just like right Bradley but you don't really think that do you and it was just like, to me it's like a fucking Ayn Rand novel yeah. if she cared about women just being like and here will be my pronouncement on individualism versus like the objectivity of truth or yeah. whatever I was like what is going on you could say that I mean like so the newsroom is a good comp for the show and I and I think Studio 60 is an even better one in mm-hmm. the sense that Studio 60 created a world in which a sketch comedy show was somehow the moral compass of the country. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this show imagines the morning show being like every morning everybody in America wakes up and chooses one of three morning shows to have like their lives dictated by. Yeah. And so let's put that aside. At least the newsroom had like an understanding of how like a newsroom would work. And I, I like we were saying before, like... I, I'm not like filled with a ton of confidence that the Mark Duplass character is like a an actual executive producer of a morning show. He doesn't seem to know what's going on yeah. at all. Yeah, I, you know they they have a writers' room, and he, it just it honestly seems like they don't know totally how the morning show works, but they do know how like a scripted TV show works, right. and so they're just graf- I mean, Mark Duplass is very believable as the guy who is bringing you you know, whatever HBO show you're watching on a Sunday night sure. because, in fact, he has, like, been on eight of them. And the writer's room and Jennifer Aniston coming in bringing, like, milk bar to bribe She's the like, writer's room. we're here room. all weekend, yeah. except I'm not actually going to do any of this. Goodbye. Right. Like, And it being all scripted is uh-huh. really interesting. I'm sure there actually are writers on a morning show, like, doing bits and stuff and setting up the segments. And I'm sure that some of it is scripted. And I'm sure there's a lot of segment producers who are like, I'm going out there to find the dog that saved the fireman. Or there are. Yeah. That's very real, though. I'd love to talk about her um, strategy Hannah at some Schoenfeld's. point. Yeah, but I agree that the thing that you said about the morning show being a place like a lot of people wake up and they turn on one of three mm-hmm. morning shows and they want to watch it. You and I don't do that because we're under the age of 50, mm-hmm. thankfully. But a, millions of people still Sure, do. no, I don't and, doubt it. Yeah, yeah and, and it also makes it, it's essentially like the last thing that makes money for networks. Yeah, and I think it's sports. also, there are lots of people who do and TV isn't often made for them mm-hmm. and series TV isn't often made for them and a lot of those people are women it should be said and so I actually like that this show is set in that world because right. it is it is like aspiration or like trying to be prestige TV for a different type of people but then this show doesn't really seem to want to meet that audience yeah. where it is in terms of how these things work which is why you have like Mark Duplass running the you know Mrs. Fletcher writer's room or whatever. Right. What do you think is the flip side? So the flip side would be the way in which Aniston, in which Alex goes about like orchestrating Bradley's ascension to the chair. Tremendous stuff. I, you and I lived in New York for a long time. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that take place in the media. Not that I'm like the encyclopedia of all media moves, but. Can I tell you where I've seen it? Uh, yeah, that's a little move we've stolen from The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, it's yeah. just like those writers have been in that room. Right. Uh, I know what they have been watching, and I've been watching it too. But the Miranda Priestley, the Meryl Streep character, does the exact same thing to save her job. Right. Um, and throws Stanley Tucci under the bus in the last part of The Devil Wears Prada. I forgot about that. So it's, But it's amazing that basically they're stealing moves from the Hollywood version of Vogue. a tell-all yeah. book written about Vogue almost 20 years ago. Right. So, Probably, yeah, not the same thing anymore. Yeah, and then, but 
Right. Especially also in terms of like social media and how these things work, because then like everyone surrounds them and they're all whispering to each other, like, don't look surprised. Yeah. You know, we had this all planned as like 45 people with cameras. And then they're like, let's yank her out of here and take her to the (laughs) network because that's not how it's going to work. Also, just the Marsha Gay Harden playing. What if Maggie Haberman was a was a media reporter? Yes. But also was like mega powerful. Mm hmm is just my favorite shit. It's my favorite bit of the show. They don't even bother change like it's Maggie Brennan. <laughs> they don't e- they they like change two syllables. Well, I have to assume that she'll become a character later on, right? Yeah, I'm sure she'll be recurring. She yeah. and she's sort of like Maggie Haberman, she's also I assume the Brian Stelter stand-in yes. as well. Yes. But but like I think is like somebody that you have to like it's like Maureen Dowd or something that yeah. like you kind of have to like curry favor with and influence and yeah. stuff like that. It's a show that's like stuck in 2002 Uh in a lot of ways even though now it's 2000 it's set in 2019 today's episode of the watch is brought to you by google assistant the google assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car at home and everywhere you take your phone when you're driving and want to listen to your favorite ringer podcasts hands-free just say hey google play the latest episode of the rewatchables Okay, here's the latest episode of The Rewatchables, The Shining, with Bill Simmons, Sean Fennessy, and Chris Ryan. Hey Google, pause podcast. A little help, hands-free, just say hey Google to get started. Okay, so here's here's a hypothetical. Yeah. Do you think you're more or less engaged with the show? I don't know how you could possibly be more engaged. Mm-hmm. If it's a love triangle between... Corel Witherspoon and Aniston and like he's still an anchor and it's like the new girl comes on and it's like the sort of power play for the anchor chairs mm-hmm. versus this Frankenstein monster that they have with the Mitch story and dealing with the Lauer fallout and the Me Too stuff. I, I think that the first version is impossible to do now. Mm-hmm. And it would be really weird if it was like Steve Carell is like a squeaky clean anchor on a morning show. Right. And we just pretended like Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and all this stuff never happened. Right. And then also, so when you say love triangle, so we pretend that and then, oh, you don't mean actual love triangle where Reese Witherspoon like starts, gets involved with Steve Carell. Yeah, I I don't even mean that. Because I think you can't do that. No, I mean like in the version in which there is no like Mitch Kessler gets me too'd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And is a sexual predator version of that. Right, but... But then if if he's not a sexual predator, but then he starts a relationship uh, with the other co-anchor, good point. I, I think that would be a problem. That, you can't point. really do that anymore. There's a if you like the morning show at all, I really recommend to you The Bold Type, which is a, uh-huh. a TV show that's essentially in partnership with Cosmo the magazine. And mm-hmm. it's about behind the scenes of Cosmo. And it's made for a younger audience and it's like not made with as much money, but uh frankly, I think with better writers. But they they started before Me Too, and so one of the assistants was dating a um, senior executive. Oh, yeah. And they had to figure out how to just get themselves out of that pretzel uh-huh. not pretty quickly. And it involved going to HR and disclosing relationships and all the responsible, like, really lame stuff. But it, it it's, like, it's a problem. You can't have a TV show targeted at women or young women and have them involved in the workplace anymore. Right. So in that sense— I'm glad that they addressed it because it just, it would have felt so outdated also, especially since it's so closely aligned with this book about the Today Show. You just can't get past it. Sure. How do you think they're handling it then? Not great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You 
know. Is part of that because they unfortunately have like one of the most famous people in the world like as the as the Mitch Kessler character? No. Like I, should Crudup be Mitch Kessler? No, because Crudup has the right amount of sleaze. You don't want everyone, you don't want it to be just like a morality play about me too. That's boring. It's right. TV. You actually want it to be fun to watch. I think the problem is that they clearly both don't know what to do with the Mitch character and didn't have enough time to, like, reorganize it. And also, I think they, like, and I under, understandably, or I empathize with this, like, feel a little guilty. I think they were very caught off guard. Sure. You can sense that, that they were caught off guard by all of this and, like, don't really know what to do and so are kind of doing, like, penance for all the accusations and uh, issues associated with the Today Show in real time. Yeah, well, because I mean— they're like, we don't want to be glamorizing a place. When when Alex is being like, I didn't know, Yes, you can kind of feel other people being like, oops. Mm-hmm. So I feel for them, but they clearly don't know what to do, and so they just put Steve Carell in a room yelling morality clause like 18 times. Mm-hmm. Like he's li- It's like a tone poem, like morality clause. And beating morality up his television clause. and getting dumped so that he's all alone, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that's weird. I admire Carell for staying on the show. Mm -hmm. And I think if they can get to a place at the end where they are talking with a little bit more nuance and specificity about what to do with a guy like that, Mm -hmm. you know, I would be interesting to see someone do that well. I don't know that they're there yet. What do you think of recent Aniston's chemistry compared to the chemistry she had with some of her co-stars on Big Little Lies? Um, well, I liked it when they were yelling at each other. Yeah. I, the thing is, is like throughout three episodes, you don't really have a sense of their chemistry until the very end. No, if anything, I think it's... it's, it's it, you see Alex ducking Bradley a couple mm-hmm. of... Like, she she's clearly orchestrating this, but is... Her character is constantly like, I have to leave now. Right. You know, and go do something else or go go back to my apartment or I'm yeah. having a panic attack or I have to put my white sneakers on. And- you know, Reese brings out the frenziness mm-hmm. and like the comedy in Aniston a little bit, which is actually great because she's one of the great comedic actresses of our time. I don't know if you remember Reese's guest stint on Friends. No. Do you remember she, that? She, she played uh, Rachel's little sister. No, she didn't. Yes, she did. And she's really funny and she's doing kind of like... Insane Tracy Flick, insane is it super, and she like goes after, after election. When is she? Uh, when yeah, it? I think it's two thousand, which I guess is after election. And yeah, because ninety nine's election. Yeah, right? yeah, and she plays her little sister, and she like goes after Ross, mm-hmm. and is it's basically like she's single white femaleing her own sister, but it's all played for laughs, and it's very funny. Mm-hmm. So they have great chemistry. They or they have it in that Friends episode, and I think even like. The scene where Jennifer Aniston is just kind of like, of course you want this job. They're like in the studio and kind of facing off. And Reese Witherspoon's like, I don't want to be used. And Jennifer Aniston's like, you're fine. Go to bed at four o'clock. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah. And just kind of, and is being a little bit funnier. I like that because, like I said, I think the show needs to be slightly less serious about itself. Yeah, I think that that is the thing that probably impacted it the most. And we can do like, like, oh, what would have happened? What would have the dynamics of the show and what would the, straight up the story have been if the if Me Too hadn't happened and now you, you there's it's impossible to conceive of pop culture without Me Too happening so it doesn't really matter but I think it's the seriousness of it like the kind of like solemnity of it is what is impacted the most by it yeah yeah what other closing thoughts do you have on the first three episodes this won't be the last time you get to talk about it on this show 
crud up. I just national treasure, really iconic stuff. Chaos is the new cocaine. Mm-hmm. Do you think he wrote that for himself or you think they wrote it for him? Oh, I mean, I think that given it's like the episode title, I think they were like, we got something here. <laughs> But it's so funny that it's like, it's just chaos as a ladder, but it's like, what if Littlefinger was like super hot? Uh, I I love his character. I really, really like, I know that they shot a lot of the interiors in Los Angeles and I'm sure, but you can kind of see how much money they're spending. I don't yeah. think they spent a ton of money on the morning show set. No. <laughs> also speaking of, so this scene where he takes Reese Witherspoon to Barney's, that is in fact the Beverly Hills Barney's. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, also used in- Is that still with us? I don't actually think so because I think they're all closed. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's it. That's in LA. I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. I the, thought the, it, it's, you know what it is? Here's, I, I, I've been watching this with my wife, Phoebe, and a scene will start and she'll be like, oh my God, this is such like, this is right out of Pretty Woman. And then they say, like, we know this is right out of Pretty Woman. Yeah. It's kind of like every time it's a cliche, they say, we know, but we're still going to do it because those cliches are actually very satisfying. Yes. Trying on clothes is fun. And also, I think. That happens more and more as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, oh, they're figuring it out. Yeah. Like that scene is 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 pretty funny. And those two clearly have chemistry. Don't I don't know what happens. I know what I want to happen. I don't know whether it'll be appropriate, me too, wise, but whatever. But maybe that's some tension. And it's like funny and watchable, even though somehow sandwich in the middle, there is a speech about Billy Crudup's mom being an organizer mm-hmm. and also her name is Martha which I can't believe I know this but isn't Martha like the Superman's mom's name who they just yell like Martha yeah. when everything goes yes. bad in those comics <laughs> yes. so in terms of this movie like borrowing from everything under the sun there's another one but they're so good and it is also like a pretty woman send up when they have that speech as she's wearing like this immaculate skirt suit. Sure. I'm, I'm not the skirt suit, pantsuit that I would definitely like to own and she looks great in. And then he says pantsuit nation and I wasn't even mad. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Which is like, that's That should is. be, you know, like when we're sitting in a movie theater and it's like, I've never been more excited about a movie, Sean Fennessy, The Ringer. Yeah. Your quote should be pantsuit nation and I wasn't even mad. That's like, that's the tagline. I'm not accepting any money from them. I'm really not. But I have. I do feel like I've been evangelizing for this show enough that I'm like wondering, but not in nice ways. So I don't I think, know what they could do. I keep. A, I want them to be like fun. I like that you're Amanda doing this Dobbins. though because I think that it's too easy to be like this is bad. Yeah, it's lazy, and it's like I think it's it's good in a way that's just not very common. But it's also bad in a way that's very entertaining. Yes. I just think it prioritizes different types of things Mm -hmm. in television. And that's what I respond to in it. And that's what I kind of think all TV, but certainly Prestige TV, has not been serving me enough of, which is, like, expensive kind of flashy shows about women that are self-aware, at least, of their references and know to make the pretty woman stuff. Yeah. And are aimed at— at, at smart people, even if they don't totally get there. Sure. Who understand soap opera is just another word for, like, plot about people instead yeah. of people being killed. Right. And understand that people want that as well. And understand that people just want to watch stars sometimes, mm-hmm. like, hanging out. And I just, a lot of TV does not really invest in that anymore or in those types of things. And they well, definitely did not spare any expenses on the alcohol yeah. budget. <laughs> they really did so I Bradley I, Jackson I'm gonna have a double bourbon yeah. you know before before I go on well she's from morning. West Virginia yeah you know, so. that's right so I, I think that it is actually 
I mean, it, not all shows do that. And I think the fact that people are responding to that tells you something. And I think the fact that uh, also, like, a lot of people were dismissive of that also tells you something about, like, what is, quote, valued in TV mm-hmm. right now and how we talk about TV and that there are major blind spots. It is all of that and is also just, like, a fascinating mismatch of 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 tones and skills yeah. sometimes. And it's really fun. It's fun to watch both because of what it is and what it isn't. I feel like the fact that it's on Apple mm-hmm. and the fact that we are, like, almost like— I mean, we would have been compelled to talk about it anyway, given the star power in it. But because it comes along with this huge foray into content by a tech giant, there's all this interest around it. It's hilarious that, like, it's not totally obvious how to watch it. I have no idea. Yeah, I was like, I actually went to, I, I, I like a super old person. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's just like lead, if you go to iTunes and it's right, it's not there. Yeah. Unless that's my iTunes, I don't know. But it was like, iTunes was advertising like some British show that I had never heard of. And I was like, where the fuck is the morning show and C and, and Dickinson? And I, that that's obviously through a different Apple TV app. But it's like, it's so interesting that even the launch of this show, which is itself like so many different cooks in the kitchen, is a part of a service that nobody really seems to understand quite how to use yet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that you get for free if you bought a phone recently or if you're a student and have an Apple Music account. I have, I have no idea if I qualify. Sean on the big picture earlier this week asked me, like, do you consider this launch a success? And I, I'm curious whether you do. Um, I, I think it's, to- I'm totally bubbled with it. Yeah. It's like, I consider it a success in the sense that I've been thinking about it a lot. I right. didn't see... Personally, like the morning show trending or like I made a morning show meme joke and it like, was really good. Thank you very much. Yeah. But it was it was a pretty <laughs> obscure Drake reference with Mark Duplass photo, but I cracked triple digit likes. I, I think just off the off the like enthusiasm I put behind it. Yeah. But I wasn't seeing a ton of like Bradley Jackson jokes. Yeah. Were you? Well, again, I was it's like, a group chat show, bubble. right? Like you're it's getting a- like a lot of texts about it. So Thank you to the people at Apple TV who sent out screeners for the whole season last week because I was very worried about having to wait. And within that email going out, within 10 minutes of that email going out, I heard from four of the people who mean most to me in my life. I heard from you. Mm -hmm. I heard from Juliette Littman. I heard from Willa Paskin, my friend. And I heard from my husband. Everyone was just like, congratulations, we did it. So I feel that I am part of a niche community (laughs) that is like, it means more to me personally than pretty much anything else in the pop cultural sphere. Does that mean that anyone else like knows how to watch this show? Or I have no idea. Did most people spend four bucks on the whatever it is to get you know like yeah. five bucks on the service? Watch the first episode and we're like, oh, that seemed really bad. I'm not going to watch any more of these. I don't know. I do think from the people who actually like sought it out. Because again, it didn't get great reviews. So the first wave was like, oh, okay, well, you don't I think, need yeah, to. Yeah. I, I'm hearing from people who sought it out and are like, actually, I like this. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a thing of the the people who actually do want to go to the trouble of spending five dollars. It's gonna I that might continue to happen. I don't know whether that's good for for Apple though. I just think it's great for me. I mean, I think the thing with Apple is it doesn't matter if it's good yeah, for Apple or not. True. All right, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me to talk about these first three episodes. We'll definitely have you on to talk about the second act. Thank you, Chris. This episode is brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. 
the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment coming November 15th, Jedi Fallen Order, is the Star Wars game that you have been waiting for, taking place between Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars A New Hope. You play as Cal Kestis, a Jedi Padawan turned fugitive. After narrowly escaping Order 66 and the Jedi Purge, you're on a quest to rebuild the Jedi Order, wield a lightsaber, hone iconic force powers, and complete your training to become a powerful Jedi, all while staying one step ahead of the Empire. Become a Jedi on November 15th in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, available on Xbox One, PS4, and PC, rated T14. 